Chapter Twenty Two of the Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins by Robert Paltick. Chapter Twenty Two. Strange is the temper of mankind, who, the more they enjoy, the more they covet. Before I received any return from my ship, I rested tolerably easy, and but seldom thought upon what I had left behind me in her, thinking myself happy in what I had, and completely so since my union with my dear wife. But after I had got what I could never have expected, I grew more and more perplexed for want of the rest, and thought I should never enjoy true happiness while even a plank of the ship remained. My head, be I where I would, or at what I would, was ever on board. I wished for her in the lake, and could I but have got her thither, I thought I should be an emperor, and though I wanted for nothing to maintain life, and had so good a wife and five children I was very fond of, yet the one thing I had not reduced the comfort of all the rest to a scanty pattern, even so low as to destroy my whole peace. I was even mad enough to think of venturing up the cavern again, but was restrained from the attempt by the certain impracticableness of it. Then I thought Yorkie should make another trip to the ship. But what can she bring from it, says I to myself, in respect of what must be left behind? Her whole life will not suffice to clear it in, at the rate she can fetch the loading hither in parcels. At last a project started, that as there were so many chests on board, Yorkie should fill some of them and send them through the gulf to take their chance for the lake. This, at first sight, seemed feasible, but then I considered how they could be got from the ship to the gulf, and again that they would never keep out the water, and if they filled with a lading in them they would sink or if this did not happen they might be dashed to pieces against the crags in the cavern these apprehensions stopped me again till unwilling to quit the thought true says i this may happen to some but if i get but one in five it is better than nothing thus i turned and wound the affair in my mind but objections still started too obstinate to be conquered in the height of my soliloquy in comes Yorkie, and seeing my dejected look, would needs know the meaning of it. I told her plainly that I could get no rest from day to day ever since she first went to the ship. To think such a number of good things lay there to be a prey to the sea, as the ship wasted, when they might be of such infinite service here. And that, since her last flight, I had suffered the more when I thought of how near the gulf was to the ship so that I could but get thither myself with my boat, I would contrive to pack up the goods in the chests that were on board, and, carrying them in the boat, drop them near the draft of the water, which of itself would suck them under the rock down the gulf, and when they were passed through the cavern, I might take them up in the lake. Well, says she, Peter, and why cannot I do this for you? No, says I, even this has its objections. Then I told her what I feared of their taking water, 
or dashing against the rock, and twenty other ways of frustrating my views. But above all, says I, how can you get such large and weighty things to the gulf without a boat? There is another impossibility. It won't do. Yorkie eyed me attentively. Prithee, my dear Peter, says she, set your heart at rest about that. I can only try. If no good is to be done, you shall soon know it, and must rest contented under the disappointment. I told her if I was there, I could take all the things out of the chests, and then melt some pitch and pour into every crack to keep out the water when they were set afloat. Pitch, says she, what's that? Why, says I, that is a nasty, hard, black sticking thing that stands in tubs in the ship, and which being put over the fire in anything to melt will grow liquid, and when it is cold be hard again and will resist the water and keep it out. Says she, How can I put this pitch within side of the chest lid when I have tied it up? It is to no manner of purpose, says I, to talk of it. So there's an end of it. But, says she, Suppose yourself there. What things would you bring first? I then entered into a long detail of particulars, saying I would have this and that and so on, till I had scarce left out a thing I either knew of or could suppose to be in the ship. And for fear I had not mentioned all, says I at last, if I was there, I believe I should leave but little portable behind me. So, so, my dear, says Yorkie, you would roll in riches I find, but you have mentioned never a new gown for me. Why, I, says I, I would have that too. "'But how would you melt the pitch?' says she. "'Oh,' says I, "'there is a tinder-box and matches in a room below, "'upon the side of the fire-hearth.' "'And then I let her see one I had brought with me, "'and showed her the use of the flint and steel. "'Well, my dear,' says she, "'will you once more trust me?' "'I told her her going would be of little more use "'than to get a second gown or some such thing.' But if she was desirous, I would let her make another flight, on her promise to be back as soon as possible. In the evening she set out and stayed two days, until the night of the third. I would here observe that, though it was much lighter and brighter on the outside of the rock, where the ship lay, than with us at Grande Valette, yet having always her spectacles with her, I heard no more complaint of the glare of light she used to be so much afraid of. Indeed, she always avoided the fire and lamp at home as much as she could, because she generally took off her spectacles within doors. But when at any time she had them on, she could bear both well enough. Upon her return again, she told me she had shipped some goods to sea for me, which she hoped would arrive safe, for by this time she had had my seafaring terms so often over she could apply them very properly and that they were in six chests which she had pitched after my directions. I, says I, you have pitched them into the sea, perhaps. But after my directions, I am satisfied was beyond your ability. You glums, says she, think us gauries very ignorant. But I'll satisfy you we are not so dull of apprehension as you would make us. Did you not show me one day how your boat was tarred and caulked, as you call it? I did, says I. What then? 
"'I'll tell you,' says she. "'When I had emptied the first chest and set it properly, "'I looked about for your pitch, "'which at last I found by its sticking to my fingers. "'I then put a good piece into a sort of little kettle "'with a long handle that lay upon the pitch. "'Oh, the pitch ladle,' says I. "'I know not what you call it,' says she. "'But then I made a fire, as you told me, "'and melted that stuff.' afterwards turning up the chest sideways and then endways i poured it into it and let it settle in the cracks and with an old stocking such as yours dipped into the pitch i rubbed every place where the boards joined i then set the chest on the side of the ship and when the pitch was cold and hardened in it filled it top full of things but when i had done thus and shut the lid I found that would not come so close, but I could get the blade of a knife through anywhere between it and the chest, whereupon I cut some long slips of the cloth I was packing up, and fitting them all round the edge of the chest, I dipped them into the pitch and laid them on hot, and where one slip would not do, I put two, and shutting the lid down close upon them, I nailed it, as I had seen you do some things, quite round. Then, tying a rope to the handle, I tipped the chest into the sea, holding the rope. I watched it some time, and, seeing it swim well, I took flight with the rope in my hand, and drew the chest after me to the gulf, when, letting go the rope, away it went. I served five more in the same manner, and now, my dearest, I am here to tell you I hope you will be able to see at least some of them, one time or other, in the lake. I admired in all this at the sagacity of the Gauries. Alas, thinks I, what narrow-hearted creatures are mankind! Did I not heretofore look upon the poor blacks in Africa as little better than beasts, till my friend Glanleps convinced me, by disabling the crocodile, the passage of the river, and several other achievements, that my own excellences might have perished in a desert without his genius? And now what could I, or almost any of us masterpieces of the creation, as we think ourselves, and heaven's peculiar favorites, have done in this present case that has been omitted by this woman, for I may justly style her so in an eminent degree, and that in a way to which she was bred an utter stranger? After what I had heard from Yorkie, I grew much more cheerful, which she, poor creature, was remarkably pleased with. She went with me constantly once, and sometimes twice a day, for several days together, to see what success at the lake, till at length she grew very impatient, for fear, as she afterwards told me, I should either think she had not done what she said, or had done it in an ineffectual manner. But one day, walking by the lake, I thought I saw something floating in the water at a very great distance. Yorkie, says I, I spy a sail. Then, running to my boat and taking her in, away we went, plying my oars with all my might, for I longed to see what it was. At nearer view I perceived it to be one of my wife's fleet. But what added to my satisfaction was to see Yorkie so pleased, for she could scarcely contain herself. When we came close to it, up she started. "'Now, my dear Peter,' says she, Torment yourself no more about your goods on board, for if this will do, all shall be your own. She then lent me a hand to take it in. But we had both work enough to compass it, the wood had soaked in so much water. 
we then made the best of our way homewards to my wet dock when just as we had landed our treasure we saw two more boxes coming down the stream both together whereupon we launched again and brought them in one by one for i did not care to trust them both on one bottom my boat being in years and growing somewhat crazy we had now made a good day's work of it so mooring the boat we went home intending to be out next morning early with the cart to convey our imports to the grotto after supper uworki looking very earnestly at me with tears just glittering in her eyes broke out in these words what should you have thought peter to have seen me come sailing drowned through the cavern tied to one of your chests heaven forbid such a thought my charmer says i but as you know i must have been rendered the most miserable of all living creatures by such a sight or anything else that would deprive me of you pray tell me how you could possibly have such a thought in your head she saw she had raised my concern and was very sorry for what she had said nothing nothing says she my dear it was only a fancy just come into my head my dear Yorkie, says i you must let me know what you mean i am in great pain till you explain yourself for i am sure there is something more in what you say than fancy therefore pray if you love me keep me on the rack no longer ah peter says she there was but a span between me and death not many days ago and when i saw the line of the last chest we took up just now it gave so much horror i could scarce keep upon my feet my dear yorkie proceed says i for i cannot bear my torment till i have heard the worst why peter says she now the danger is over i shall tell you my escape with as much pleasure as i guess you will take in hearing of it you must know my life says she that having cast that chest into the sea as i was tugging it along by that very line it being one of the heaviest and moving but slowly i twisted the string several times round my hand one fold upon another the easier to tow it when drawing it rather too quick into the eddy it pulled so hard against me towards the gulf and so quick that i could in no way loosen or disengage the cord from my fingers but was dragged thereby to the very rock against which the chest struck violently my last thought as i supposed it was of you my dear on which she clasped me round the neck in sense of her past agony when taking myself for lost i forbore further resistance at which instant the line slackening by the rebound of the chest fell from my hand of itself and the chest returning to the rock went down the current i took a turn or two round on my grandee to recollect my past danger and went back to the ship fully resolved to avoid the like snare for the future indeed i did not easily recover my spirits and was so terrified with the thought that i had half a mind to have left the two remaining chests behind me but as danger overcome gives fresh resolution i again set to work and discharged them also down the gulf as i hope you will see in good time my heart bled within me all the while she spoke and i even felt ten times more than she could have suffered by the gulf my dearest yorkie says i why did you not tell me this adventure sooner it is too soon i fear now says she 
for she then saw the color forsake my lips, my eyes grow languid, and myself dropping into her arms. She screamed out and ran to the chest where all was empty, but turning every bottle up and from the remaining drops in each, collecting a small quantity of liquor, and putting it by little and little to my lips, and rubbing my wrists and temples, she brought me to myself again. But I continued so extremely sick for some days after, that it was above a week before I could get down with my cart to fetch up my chests. When I was able to go down, Uworki would not venture me alone, but went herself with me. We then found two more of the chests, which we landed, and I had work sufficient for two or three days in getting them all up to the grotto, they were so heavy, and all the way through the wood, being uphill. We had five in hand, and watched several days for the sixth, when, seeing nothing of it, we gave it over for lost. But one day, as I was going for water, Uworki would go with me, and urged our carrying the net, that we might drag for some fish. Accordingly we did so, and now having taken what we wanted, we went to the rill, and pushing in the head of the boat, as I usually did, for by that means I could fill the vessel as I stood on board, the first thing that appeared was my sixth chest. Uworki spied it first, and cried, pointing thereto, Oh, Peter, what we have long wished for, and almost despaired of, is come at last. Let us meet and welcome it. I was pleased with the gaiety of her fancy. I did as she desired. We got into the boat after merrily saluting it, and so returned home. It took us up several days' time in searching, sorting, and disposing our cargo, and drawing the chests, for the goods themselves were so far from being wetted or spoiled that even those in the last chest, which had lain so long in the water, had not taken the least moisture. Uworki was quite alert at the success of her packing but left me to ring her praises, which I did not fail of doing more than once at unpacking each chest, and could see her eyes glow with delight to see she had so pleased me. She had been so curious as to examine almost everything in the ship, and as well of things I had described and she did know as of what she did not, brought me something for a sample. But above all had not forgot the blue stuff, for the moment she had seen that she destined it to the use of herself and children. End of chapter 22 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista